Before we get into today's episode, I want to make sure you heard about our Organized Chaos end of the year giveaway. One lucky winner is going to get a $100 gift card to the Trainual Swag Shop. All you've got to do is go to trainual.com backslash OC survey and enter your email. That's how we'll notify you if you've won. And then just answer a few questions about the show. All of the questions are centered around you, your listening experience. It's the perfect opportunity to provide feedback on what you want more of in the show, and I'll be reading every response. Again, go to trainual.com backslash OC survey, or click on the link in the episode description. We'll announce the winner on December 23rd, 2022. Thanks for participating, and I look forward to building the best possible show for you all as we head into 2023. Now, back to today's episode. I'm looking at my daughter, you know, and I'm thinking about, you know, the world that she's going to grow up in. I'm like, this cannot be the case at all. Um, And I was terrified, absolutely terrified to speak out on it because obviously it's this massive company and I knew that I still wanted to compete. So I wasn't sure what that would mean if I spoke out. But um, Wes actually told me something when we're going through this whole ordeal. He was like, you know, you can use your voice even if it shakes. Hey everyone, I'm Chris Ronzio, founder and CEO of Trainual, and this is Organized Chaos. On every normal episode, you hear me talk about building your playbook. Well, we actually have an event every year called Playbook over at Trainual, and this session is a clip from Playbook 2022. That's our annual event at Trainual, and it features some of the top business leaders in the world. So we've reformatted these sessions for the podcast so that you can enjoy them wherever you are, totally free. This session is hosted by me and Jonathan Ronzio, who is our CMO and my brother. We are so excited to have Allison and Wes Felix joining us today. You may have heard of Allison before. She's only the most decorated track and field Olympian of all time. That's quite the title. She's won 30 medals, incredible, 30 medals. And she's been on the cover of Time Magazine as one of the most influential people of the year. Her and her brother, Wes, founded Sage after Allison experienced some gender injustices in her career during her pregnancy. Their goal was to create an encouraging and supporting community for women alongside a line of athletic sneakers. So we're super excited to chat about their journey from the track to the boardroom. Allison and Wes, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. We're excited to chat. So actually, the first thing that I want to uh, jump into, obviously, we've got a bit of a sibling dynamic going on, right? This is the nice, a nice sibling session for the day. Um, Wes, you're two years older, right? Yes. Yeah, two years older. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about how you both found running, right? Wes, did you find the love of running first? Because, you know, your, your background is there as well. And then Allison, did you separately just decide that you wanted to be, you know, become a runner? Or was this because you wanted to be like big bro and you wanted to do things that he was doing? Like, let's talk about that early dynamic growing up together. Yeah, totally. So I can, I can start it off and and just say that running was one of those things that I don't know if any kid just like loves running. Um, and so, you know, I was not the one that just loved running. I wasn't just running around all the time just saying, absolutely love this. Um, but I did love winning. And so that was, that's what I think kind of started getting me hooked was, um, it was like just field day 
school and, you know, there were these races and you just realized, you know, maybe you were getting to the line a little bit faster than other people. And so you were like, well, let's do that again. I think that's, I think that's fun. I like getting to the line first. Um, and so found track kind of that way. And, um, we moved to, moved to a new school and, um, at that school track was a fall sport. So it was just the first thing you could go out for. So went out for it. Um, back then they had me as a high jumper, um, which I don't know what anybody was thinking there, but, uh, was a high jumper and, and really fell in love with the sport. And, you know, I think Allison was out there at the track meets and, and all of the things, but I'll let her take it on how she really found it. Um, yeah, I was the little sister who was just tagging along. I'm sure I annoyed Wes all the time because I was just, I wanted to do whatever he did. So if he was playing basketball, you know, I'm playing basketball. If we're riding bikes in the neighborhood, I'm right behind him. So when he started running track, you know, I really took an interest. And then I was at a different high school than him and I didn't really have a bunch of friends. And so him and my dad were like, you should go out just to like meet people. So I kind of stumbled into it. Um, and I had always growing up, I was always like known as like Wes's little sister. Like, I don't think anybody even like knew my name. So, you know, he was playing basketball first and he was doing really well. And then he was really fast. And so literally it was just like, I'm Wes's little sister. And then once I started like running, I absolutely fell in love with it and met those friends I was looking for, but literally, you know, stumbled into it. And it was, you know, just because I was chasing after him, like always. I, I can super relate to that, of course, <laughs> growing up, always being the, the tag along little bro. Um, and then more recently, though, the tables kind of flipped in the in the athletic space with running. There's a reason we titled this Running the Business, and we're so excited to talk to you because this has been a personal like rabbit hole we've been going down is trying to find that thread of, of what relates between like our newer love of just running and endurance and ultras and things like that and how it relates to the mentality that you have to bring to running a business. Um, so we're going to get into all that. Chris, over to you. Yeah, so we'll get into the similarities between running and business. But first, I want to keep on the Olympic thread and on the competitive running thread because Allison obviously racing has kind of defined your career for the last 18 years or so I believe but you recently retired so I'm curious what was that last race like for you and and that decision to be done with the competitive racing I'm sure that was difficult yeah it was um the last race was just very special I kind of had two moments like one at world championships where it was like the last time on that huge stage and just you know it was on home soil and so getting to just take that in and just feeling really appreciated by you know the fans and everyone who's kind of been on this journey with me so it was really special and then um had a moment in my hometown of LA where I had like my true final race and that was special because I was surrounded by like day one supporters and family and my daughter my you know, all my loved ones. So that was, um, it was just really emotional. And now, you know, I think it's slowly setting in and I think it will be challenging, you know, just not having that structure, not having the thing that I've loved doing for so many years. So I'm also excited to see like what my relationship with running looks like as I move forward and how, you know, that fits into my life. And I'll miss the competitive, you know, side of things and racing and all of that. But um, I'm so grateful. And obviously I'm really excited about, you know, this next great challenge that I have. Do you still like race your daughter to the car in the parking lot or like race to the next house at Halloween? I, I, cause I would be doing that all the time. 
Well, I'm definitely like, you know, doing what my family did with me growing up, which was never letting me win. So yeah, my daughter has a lot of years of coming in second place and I will definitely be, you know, uh, making sure that happens until I can't do it any longer. <laughs> I do the same with my son playing basketball. Like he goes up for the shot and I just swat it. Like he's an adult and you know, he's got to learn, right? You have to. <laughs> <laughs> now, Wes, uh, you're trajectory is similar but you stepped obviously into sports management doing the agency so like what what was that kind of like pivot in your life into business like yeah it was um you know it was a really hard transition and i think that's something that i was you know was telling allison as she was getting towards the end of her career is you just it's hard you know because it's your identity for so long and it's pretty rare that you are fully identified as one particular thing and then all of a sudden that just stops um and you know i think allison because of her success she's always going to be allison the olympian uh, on some level you know like because she's she's a legend so she created you know it's not going to go away michael jordan's still michael jordan you know like and he can move on to new things but it doesn't get rid of the basketball part um for me it was totally different you know it was like you were always wes the runner wes oh he's an all-american wes he's sponsored by nike or and then it's just gone. Then all of a sudden you're just West. And like that, that was a shock to the system. Um, and so, so it was really challenging and probably took a couple of years before really kind of like finding my footing again, um, and transitioned out of competing, um, and into the agent side. And, and that was also really hard, you know, because I'd started my business, um, just on my own. I didn't, I didn't have a partner. I didn't, um, my, my partner was Allison, you know, and so we just kind of went in and we figured it out and, um, and it was really lonely, you know, so that part was, was a real challenge. But, um, but then I think that, you know, you slowly start to build that world around you. You start to gain your footing, get that confidence, realize there's so much competition around business. Um, so you still get the competitive juices flowing. Um, and, you know, I think there's, it sounds crazy, but it's still quite a bit of balance um, compared to athlete life, um, even though founder life I could never describe it as balanced. But, um, but yeah, so so it was it was quite a transition, but but I really enjoyed it. So when you just got into the sports agency and you didn't know much about that industry and, you know, how it all worked, did you have mentors? Did you have coaches? Like, how did you fast track your success in a space you didn't really understand so well? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I always say that I don't know what my parents were thinking when they, when they let us do this, but they must've known what they were doing on some level. They had some level of confidence in, uh, in me and, and in what Allison and I were building, but the first thing I did was I said, there's a lot that I don't know. And who can I go to that might help me? Um, and I reached out to, um, I reached out to Serena Williams agent, Jill Smoller. Um, and I just called her office and was like, Hey, uh, I'd really love to talk to Jill and her assistants. Like, yeah, no, you're not talking to Jill. And, you know, it's <laughs> this probably was like a cold a, call, cold call. Yeah. And I, and I even found Jill because I was like, what's a good career female athlete career to model and it was serena williams she's doing great like who helps her oh this lady jill smaller let me let me call her and so um about six weeks of trying to get through and finally this would have been 2010 so 
Facebook, you know, was not new, but was still a bit, you used it in a different way. Um, and I just reached out to her Facebook and I was like, Hey, I've got this idea. I'd love to talk to you. And she wrote right back. And, um, and she was like, why are you reaching out on Facebook? Like call my office. And I'm like, I've been calling your office for two months. Like I just can't <laughs> get through. And she was like, come in tomorrow. And so I came into her office and we sat down, we talked, I told her a bit about, you know, what I thought Allison's potential was and what, what my vision was for her business and for her career. And, um, and she said, I really, I really like you. And I really like, you know, what Allison stands for. Um, let's do it. And so then I left and, um, and we started working together in that next year, you know, I think in, in total sponsorship, you know, we were in the seven figure range and, and the year before that it was like, $35,000 or something like that. So there was this really big change and it wasn't because of me. I think it was um, really what I give Jill so much credit for is she she's so patient with me and let me ask all the questions, but also she provided an access to information um, that I didn't even realize I didn't have. And so it wasn't so much. A lot of people said like, why would you cut her in on the commission? And, and a lot of people, um, a lot of people said you don't need it. You know, Allison is such, she's already a big enough name. You're going to be able to talk to the brands. They're going to be interested. And, and they were completely right on that. Um, but what they couldn't do was know what that deal should actually be. The best I could have done was known, you know, this big company may offer X amount of dollars. Does that sound like a lot? And yeah, we're like two kids from like inner city LA. Like it all sounded like a lot. So it was like, cool, let's do it. Um, but what Jill really brought was uh, an understanding of what the deals should be. Um, and so we would start off meetings and I'd take the meeting and I'd, I'd learn a bit about what they wanted to do. And, you know, and they'd say, yeah, and we're really interested in an offer. And I'd say, okay, great. And I'd go back and then I'd call Jill and I'd tell her what was going on. And then I'd say, like, all right, so I'm going to bring you into the next call. And she's like, okay, great. We get on the call and, you know, it's all, it's an entirely different thing now that they know that I'm not just Allison's brother. Like there's actually something real behind it. And what I say that Jill really brought was, you know, a deal that might've been 10 cents. She told me it should be a dollar. And then we were able to go and do it for a dollar instead of the 10 cents. Um, and yeah, we still work together all these years later. And uh, we even co-represent another client um, together as well. That's so amazing. I, I think that there's two huge lessons there. You know, the the idea that uh, you don't know everything and you want to reach out to someone that's way ahead of you. I think it feels out of reach for a lot of people like they wouldn't make that cold call. But you did, you know, you just figure, oh, they'll never respond to me. They'll never write me back. But you had the perseverance to keep setting those messages, keep contacting the assistant. And when you got through, it was a game changer. So I think a takeaway for everyone is that don't be afraid to reach out. That's that's one. And then the second thing you mentioned is cutting someone in so you have a smaller piece of a much bigger pie is, is something I think a lot of entrepreneurs wouldn't do. And I know early in Trainual, I had to think about who I was bringing into the business, either as partners or advisors or investors. And I think it's a, a really important decision for entrepreneurs to make. So very important lesson there. I appreciate that. I think even the, the third thing there that you mentioned is like, they said 10 cents, it should be a dollar, right? And that's something that so many entrepreneurs have to learn early on is that like they're typically undervaluing themselves and what they have to offer and bring to the table 
whether they're billing for, you know, design work or doing a website or consulting or anything like that, like just trying to get off the ground, like you got to know your worth, but you can't know it unless you have, you know, that external kind of mentorship and benchmark to look to, right? Absolutely. Because you can think that your worth is one thing and, and you just don't know, you know, and I always say like, that is yeah. the access that she provided is she was able to to tell me what the numbers really should be. Um, and then we could go after the deals and go after them aggressively. So I, I want to pull at this, this thread a little bit more because I love this story. And I think like both of you have such a, an interesting perspective of working with brand ambassadors and influencers and the sponsorship side of the business, right? And that's been one of the early strategies we use to grow Trainual over the years is working with influencers, doing influencer marketing, celebrity ambassador you know, programs, things like that. And something that I think would be really tactical and amazing for the audience here tuning in is to understand how to best work with the people you want to sponsor, with the influencers, right? How to approach that the right way. Because you mentioned Nike, both of you, of course, were with Nike, now not so much. And you've been on both sides of the good and the bad of that relationship, right? And so I think it'd be amazing, maybe Allison, if you want to start with like, what's the right way to work with somebody who you want to be an ambassador of your product, be an influencer for your business? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think the first thing is like, it has to be an authentic fit. At least that's the way that like, I feel like it should be. Um, you don't want it to be fake. You don't want it to be manufactured. Like you want to be able to work with someone um, that, you know, believes in whatever you're doing and like wants to live it out. And so when I think about, you know, just my past and just where I've been, for me, I've really made a commitment that, you know, it has to be real. It has to be something that I can be proud of. And I think when you start there, um, that's like the type of ambassador that you want, who is going to spread the word because they believe in it, because they stand behind it, because they want to get excited about it authentically. Um, and, and it really just makes things easy. Like when you're telling the truth, when you're doing something that you like really believe in, it's it's so easy just to authentically share and um, to live it out. And so for me, that's kind of the first place where I always start is like, okay, does this make sense? And even when I think about like working with with companies, it's like, okay, maybe it's great, but maybe it's not the best fit for me. Is it something that really aligns with what I'm about and with my mission? And do I think it has impact? Like that's something for me, like there's so much um, more than just financial value. I, I think like, okay, is this going to uh, move people in any way, you know? Um, and, and I really find a lot of value in that. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's something, you know, really uh, an experience I had once where I was, I was talking with someone with a brand and they were, um, they were pitching an athlete and they kept referring to the athlete as an asset. Um, and it was just so dehumanizing, you know, and, and I think that it's, it's remembering that there really are real people on the other side of this, this transaction, you know, and so there is a transaction, there is money that's being exchanged for a promotion of a brand, like, that's okay, but let's be real about what that is, is yes, there is a transaction between two people you know, and, and a brand is just, it's still a collection of people. So, you know, that it's, there's a transaction between two people and don't forget that there are people on the other end of it. And then I think the other thing is, um, 
be honest about what the relationship is. So something Allison and I experienced is, you know, this idea of like, oh, you're part of the family, you're part of the family. Like it's, it's, it's not a family, you know, family is something entirely different. Family is a real thing. And it's, it's a very important thing. Um, and that's a word that I think gets thrown around so quickly. You know, you start a new job and day one, you're part of the family. Um, and I think that it's, you know, that there's, that's gotta be earned. I think that you can become family, um, potentially, you know, but at, at Sage, we very intentionally will not call it the Sage family, we're a team. And that means that we're going to show up for each other. We're going to have each other's backs. We're going to support each other. You know, if you need a shoulder to cry on, like the shoulders there, you know, we're going to go through it together, but we're, we're not family. Um, because at the end of the day, if you're not performing, you'll be asked to leave. And that's not how you treat family the same way. You know, you don't say to your, to to Allison's not going to say to her daughter, like, well, you weren't obedient. So like now you're out like that's family. Out of the family. Yeah. You don't, it's, it's yeah. different, you Only know? So yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's, there's some families who wish that they could uh, put some people on, you know, onto free agents. <laughs> no, but it's such a good point about the, the team and family dynamic. You're right. This is not a family, a business is is a team and it's hopefully a collaborative team and a healthy team, but it's not a family. I think a lot of people use that family example um, to guilt people into working extra hours and doing things that they might do to support their family. And that's not healthy in a work environment. So I love that you said that. And also that asset word, like you probably saw us both cringe. I, I would be like an instant deal breaker. Um, I've, I've heard a, a saying, even with uh, your team members, your employees, um, staff is a disease. It's not what you call people. And so I, I don't even like saying that word, but I, it's, it, it's true. You know, we're surrounded by people, but let's get into Sage because you have a really cool story with how you brought this to life. And so can you share where this idea came from? What was that moment that you said, we got to do this? Yeah, absolutely. Well, with with like a lot of the great ideas in our family, it uh, started with Wes. Um, but it really, you know, came about organically. Um, we went through a very difficult time when I decided to start a family. Um, I, I think, you know, a lot of people might be familiar with the story, but basically I was at Nike for almost a decade. And um, the culture, you know, regarding women in pregnancy um, in track and field as a whole was there was like this culture of silence. You know, women would either hide pregnancies to secure new contracts or the contracts would be paused. And it was just very difficult. And I really saw so many women struggle. Um, and I feel like even for myself, like no one sat me down and, and told me like, OK, you can't have kids until, you know, your career is done. But I think I just, I never saw it, you know, and it wasn't that it wasn't happening. It was that it wasn't at the forefront and it wasn't, um, it just wasn't, the story wasn't being told. It wasn't celebrated. But what I was seeing was my teammates, my friends going through the hardest time, struggling, losing sponsorship, trying to figure out how they could do this, um, figuring out ways to bring kids along um, and having to, frankly, exit the sport way earlier than they needed to. And uh, I think women are capable after they have children, but they have to be supported in the right way. And so I went through a, a big ordeal where basically I was asking for maternal protection. So what I was asking for was that the 
way the contracts are set up, um, there are bonuses and reductions built into contracts. So you go to the Olympics, you win a medal, you get a bonus. You you go and you don't, you get a reduction. Um, and you have a baby, there's nothing in place to protect you. So that's what I was asking. And ultimately, I was told that I could be given time, um, but it, it couldn't be for everyone. Like they weren't ready to set that precedent, you know, for it just to be the standard for all female athletes. And I really felt like that just wasn't okay. And I think because over this course of time, you know, I became a mother and I'm looking at my daughter, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the world that she's going to grow up in. I'm like, this cannot be the case at all. Um, and I was terrified, absolutely terrified to speak out on it because obviously it's this massive company and I knew that I still wanted to compete. So I wasn't sure what that would mean if I spoke out, but um, Wes actually told me something when we're going through this whole ordeal. He was like, you know, you can use your voice even if it shakes. And I think I just really held on to that because for me, I'm like, I'm a person who doesn't want to rock the boat. Like I don't, I'm a people pleaser. Like I don't, I, it just was so far from what made me comfortable. But um, I think I felt just deeply like I had to do something. So I did, we wrote a New York times op-ed, we shared the story. Um, and shortly after, you know, sharing that story, they did change their policy and they do offer now protection for female athletes and other companies step forward as well. And, you know, the industry really shifted. Um, but all that happened, I parted ways and I was still, you know, competing in hopes to make it to another Olympic games. And that's when I came to West and I was just basically frustrated. Um, I was just tired, honestly, of like asking companies to see my value. And he was like, why don't we just like do this ourselves? And I'm like, you mean like, like do what? Like build a, a company, like build shoes for me to be able to like wear in the Olympics. And he's like, yeah. And I guess for me, he's always been like this visionary and like this dreamer has all these like massive, you know, ideas. And for me, I was just like, but like, like, how, how is that going to work? Um, and then the more that like I thought about it and, and it, it like really sat with me, I, I felt like, no, you're right. Like, here's an opportunity that we create the change and we don't ask someone else to do it. And so we step forward with this super ambitious you know, idea. Um, and we started Sage, you know, our lifestyle brand for mm -hmm. women and we launched. And I think the highlight of my entire career was probably making it back to the Olympics, crossing that line and, and doing it in the shoes that we created and then seeing them out in the world, um, you know, on, on so many women's feet. Yeah. And I would, it's I would really just add to that, that there was this, there was this period where, you know, what we thought the problem was, was just Allison didn't have shoes to run in in the Olympics. And so, you know, we set out to build that shoe. And so the shoes she runs in, they're, they're racing spikes, you know, they're crazy light, they're the specialty tool. Um, would I, it would be really hard to build a business around them. Um, and, you know, and so it probably was a horrible idea because all, all I was thinking about was like, yeah, you need shoes. Let's start a company. We'll make shoes. Like you'll wear them. People will probably buy them. Like it's fine. And, you know, we, we talked with a, um, with a former Nike employee who ended up becoming our developers. Now one of our advisors, she developed our first product and, 
And as we were sitting there, you know, she was like, yeah, I think we could do this. This is great. And I was like, amazing. This is the part Allison doesn't mention in there from my perspective is, you know, I said we should start a company. Let's do it on our own. And, and when she said, you mean like start a shoe company? Like there was this part of me as older brother that was like, oh yeah, that sounds fully insane. Oh yeah, that's, that's not a good idea. <laughs> but I think I've gone too far now. I can't back down now. Yeah. Let's start a shoe company. Yep. We can do it. Um, and so I'm, I'm so glad I didn't really know what we were taking on, but, but what Tiffany, our developer said was, you know, she said, you know, shoes aren't made for women. And I remember looking back at her and saying like, yeah, I know it's so bad. It's so horrible. And she was like, I don't know if you're like really getting there. Like shoes really aren't made for women. I was like, I, I, yeah, I know. Like it's awful. And she's like, yeah, I still don't think you're getting it. And like almost a little bit annoyed. I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, explain it to me then. Like, what am I not getting? You're saying shoes aren't made for women. I'm saying it right back. Like, what, are, what am I not getting? And she went back to the very beginning of how you make a shoe. And she's like, a shoe is based on a last. Um, she's like, an last is just a mold. That's the pattern that's formed around, you know, around uh, the foot. But the last is just, it's a foot. Um, and she's like, and all of those feet, that last are made off of in sneakers, those are men's feet. And, you know, and I'm like sitting there and I'm like, okay, I'm like, yeah, but Tiff, if, if that's the case, then that means there's no such thing as women's shoes. And she was like, yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. There's no such thing as women's shoes. Um, and so my next question was, well, then when I go into Foot Locker and there's shoes on one side that are for men and on the other side, women, what's the difference? And she was like, nothing. And I was like, okay, well then, like, what is the women's wall then? Like, why, what is that? And she's like, that's marketing. And I was like, yeah, that's not marketing. That's lying. Like, that's, that's entirely different. That's not marketing. You know, like, that's not saying, oh, this is kind of good. We'll try to make it seem like it's a whole lot better. That's just full blown. We're telling you this was made for you. It really wasn't. Um, and, and what that immediately stirred up was what Allison felt during and what I felt along with her going through that journey of fighting for maternity uh, for female athletes. It was then, again, being overlooked. It was being taken for granted. It was this idea of, look, look, we're telling you it's all for you. And it's really not at all. Um, and so then, you know, we set out to build, yes, Allison's racing shoes. But what we really realized was that our real problem was that women are being overlooked by the brands they're most loyal to. And as we started studying other companies, we were realizing, well, wait a minute, that one, that company that's only for women, like that was started by, by men. And this one was started by men and that started by men. And we heard about a company that was, you know, getting ready to develop shoes for women. And as we were learning a bit more about it, you know, the lead designer uh, was named Todd and was a male. And I was like, well, wait, like, you're about to go design shoes specifically for women and the best person you thought to do it was was a man like are there no it was all just so mind-blowing and confusing um and then a few months later you know i reached out to tiff and i was like tiff i woke up i had this thought what what's a women's size nine then if shoes aren't made for women and she was like it's nothing it's a sticker and i was like so, so what do you mean? It's just a sticker. And she was like, yeah, it's just a sticker. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's just a sizing sticker. Um, and it really hit me that, you know, measurement doesn't have gender assigned to it. 
we always we look at women's shoes we think that's a real number you know like it's it's not a real number based on anything um it's literally a marketing tactic you know and if you go to other countries european sizing it's, it's just a number there's not a women's 39 or a men's 39 it's just 39 it's an actual unit of measurement um and over here we focus um on trying to convince people to buy things that are not what they actually are and so we have a women's nine and a men's nine but it's it's just a trick you know and i think that that when we realize that then it's okay this company actually needs to exist and it's not about shoes it's about so much more than shoes shoes are a product but but what we're really trying to to solve is is that it's people being just directly misled taken for granted you know like not being seen and, and i think it goes right back to when we talk about you know an asset or calling someone family it all feeds into that same thing it's no i'm just trying to take something from you I just want something from you and i'll do whatever i need to to do that um but that's that's you know we need we need better than that um so, so this is mind-blowing to me and i know when i was doing my research and finding this out i'm just like is this real are you serious as i'm flipping through and when you found that out did you just like call allison and say hey did you know like guess what guess what i, I would get so mad and like it must have just lit you on fire to create a brand to solve this problem and so i'm curious outside of the product how are you advocating or spreading the message around this and how much of a balance is it between pr of trying to get the word out about this and actually building a product you're selling yeah totally i'll touch on it quickly and then toss it to allison because i think you know when you were saying you know just just how infuriating it is it is it's unbelievably it's disappointing you know like it's it's really disappointing and um and i think that you know we were really excited because when you said wait is this real that was something that that we knew we were going to run into you know it's like well what's what's your data on this like where is that coming from because you know nike's nike's not announcing that they're making shoes based on men's feet and selling them to women like neither is adidas and to be clear like nike's an easy target to pick on because they're big you know but like nike is made up of seventy-five thousand people um it's not bad there like it's not just this evil empire like there are people who probably have put profit before other things just like at most businesses and you know so we don't have this deep hatred of nike and also really proud of them around the maternity protection that they stepped up um, to improve but i think that there is there is something super important there that if the greatest marketing company maybe in the history of the world was making shoes specifically based on women's feet and just decided to keep it a secret um it probably wouldn't be the greatest marketing company in the history of the world you know but that story is not out there either. no one's saying hey we made this based specifically on your feet and we got really excited when lululemon decided to enter the market with shoes the same way that, that we build shoes based specifically on women's feet so now you don't just have to believe wes and allison now you can just go to lululemon um, and you can see that they are they are also uh, now starting to make shoes based on women's feet which for us that's success success is you know we really want our business to to succeed to really do well um, but we also want to create change more than anything and so seeing a player like lululemon enter the space and say we're making shoes specifically for women um, 
I'm excited to tell people, go check out their website, you know, maybe buy our shoes instead of theirs. But because um, a guy named Todd made theirs, but um, but I would say that they are um, they are doing the right thing, and that's not we're not afraid of that. That's not a competitor. We we celebrate that and support that, and I think that um, that that is what needs to happen. And if our company ceases to exist because Nike decided they're going to make shoes for women, and Adidas decided they're going to make shoes for women, and we're just the small player that disappears, but that change is created. You know, Allison and I have both said that is success. Um, and if any of our investors are listening, that will never happen. We will not let it happen. But, um, <laughs> but that, is know, that is that's like that it's like success. why nonprofits want to solve diseases, right? They want to like they want to not exist anymore, and that that is success. And so, it's having a true mission like that can really drive the business. I appreciate that. Um, also, as you were talking, I was remembering from my childhood, this movie, What Women Want, where I think they were actually like doing women's shoes for Nike. Like whoever was the actress, I think it was like Helen Hunt or Jody. like she should be a, a Sage ambassador and be like, no, you know what? Women want actually shoes that are made for women. That's it. That's like, and buy Sage. Right, because <laughs> didn't, didn't like Mel Gibson like read her mind and steal her yeah. idea for the actual pitch? Yeah. There's an ad there. There's an ad there. <laughs> yes, you guys. there is. I'm, I, I'm, I'm like, like that, scribbling that's, notes, Rob. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's so important. Such a note. So everybody write write that down. It's like when when you're competing as a commodity, competitors matter right but when you're champion change competition is welcomed i think that's awesome very cool so i also read that you uh, back before you started sage had a partnership with Allbirds, and i'm curious if being around them as like a shoe startup kind of infused some ideas or what did you what were you able to learn from that that you baked into sage's dna Yes, I, I feel like I've been waiting to tell this story one day. Albert's fired me. It's the only time I've ever been fired in my life. Um, it felt horrible. Uh, but actually, I look back now on kind of our journey with Sage and I'm like, oh, okay, that makes so much sense. So I was at Albert's um, helping them with brand partnerships as a consultant really early on, uh, probably year two or something like that for them. So it was really, really small. It was um, it was a lot of fun. Joey and Tim, their founders and CEOs are, are two incredible guys, um, just like brilliant minds, um, but work ethic to back it up. And I really loved the time there. I felt like I learned a lot about how ambitious they were and how what they were creating was possible. Um, and so, you know, it was it was way too early for brand partnerships for them. So I kind of joke and say uh, they fired me, which kind of felt like they did. But um, but it was too early for brand partnerships for them. Um, and and I think they really were smart in they trusted their customer. They, they really leaned into their customer. Um, I would cringe every time I heard them talk about how comfortable the brand was. And I'm like, that's great. Let people find that out when they put the shoes on. You don't need to like, your marketing doesn't have to be comfort. Like, oh, comfort just sounds like the place where like cool goes to die, you know? And this was all pre-COVID. And um, and so, you know, I just like, it like made me cringe. But I I really respect how they stuck to that because that's why their business, I think, became what their business um, ultimately grew to was because their customers said, we love that your shoe is comfortable. And they just gave more of what their customer wanted. They didn't try to change it into solely the brand they pictured in their head. You know, they got it to a certain point 
And then they started listening and you saw it just grow and grow and grow. And so that was really cool to watch. But when it was time to make shoes uh, for me and Allison, I remember telling her, I mean, if Joey and Tim can do it, we can do this. Um, and so, so it, it did like in, in a huge way, like Joey and Tim really inspired me um, around what was possible. Um, and I'm so grateful, you know, that they fired me because maybe I, maybe I wouldn't have started Sage. <laughs> maybe I would have been doing brand partnerships for, for all birds. That, that next step is often, I don't know, people fear change, right? Like I think a lot of people as they're going into a next chapter of their career, whether it's quitting or being fired or ending a, you know, a identity, like a self-identifying career as an athlete, right? It's like the next step is always scary, but the next step is full of opportunity and just reframing that. Like, I, I love that you're so thankful for being fired and can reflect on that in really positive light. That's great. Can, can I ask a selfish question though, right now? I feel like when, when we have a software company, thinking about starting a shoe company is just mind blowing to me. Like going into textiles, like trying to figure out fabrics and like soles and the production and the manufacturing, like what, how did you go about that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Allison, you want to jump in? You're, you're both just like, yeah, it was hard. <laughs> I think we both had like the same feeling of just, you know, at those beginning stages of just like an over, uh, just feeling overwhelmed. But I, I'll say like once we did like dive in, I think it was making sure that we really brought on people who were just well experienced, who had done this. And I, I was just fascinated by learning the process. And Wes talked about Tiffany, um, who really, I think she was just our first point of just kind of understanding, you know, how shoes are made and the process of, of it all. And then, you know, working with some incredible um, designers. And I, I think there's something really special also that, you know, these shoes are made for and by women. And for me to be you know, a part of that process and just to see how it's all developed and what happens at the factories and all of that. I mean, we we both grew up loving shoes and big sneakerheads. We could get like one pair of shoes for like the whole year. And we used to wash them with a toothbrush and like we were pretty obsessed. So for us, I mean, as kids who grew up that way, it was also just this fascinating process stepping into this industry that, you know, was something completely new for us. But um, the learning were just you know massive but also like so much fun along the way yeah it was a lot of fun and it was also you. oh sorry i'll say no sorry sorry wes um jump in, in in just a second i was just wondering the last you said the mold right for the shoe is that from your foot allison now Did, were you in the process there um not specifically just yeah, due to all of this coming together during the pandemic, but I do kind of like, I feel like that's also why I didn't realize that shoes hadn't been made for women for so long was that because being a runner and, you know, being with, I was with Adidas when I was, you know, 17 years old. And then Nike after that, like my shoes always were, I always had like shoes made for me. And so I didn't realize, you know, racing shoes. And so I didn't realize, you know, that the shoes that are going to, to retail are, you know, are, are very different than that. And so it was a lot of learning uh, along the way for sure. Got it. West, yeah, sorry I would, to cut you I off would there. Say Go that. for it. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I would just say that it was, you know, it was really daunting to start, but we had no idea what we were getting into. 
So it was, you know, at the beginning you were like, okay, what, what are the steps? You find a developer, you find a designer, how much is it going to cost? We got it. We have to open up molds like, okay, great. And then we get materials. Where do the materials come from? You know, and you kind of broke it down to this like 10 item checklist of we just, these are the steps. Um, and then when you start the steps, then you realize each one of those steps had probably another hundred more items um, underneath it. And that's when, when you really got into it, you're already in, you know, and I think that I, I always say a lot and Allison talk about, um, Allison and I talk about how if we knew what it was going to take when it started, we would have never started. So I'm so glad we didn't know what it was actually going to take. Um, and then, yeah. you know, the learnings, the very fast learnings around around logistics and global supply chain during the largest global supply chain crisis, you know, that that we've experienced is also makes it where we don't know what normal feels like. We don't know what like regular level because we just started it when we started it and everything was very, very hard when we started it. So <laughs> I hope that we got this real shock to the system and later on we're going to go, oh, wow. So that's actually not as hard as we thought or that's actually much, much cheaper um, because, you know, when you're watching shipping costs go up based on the cost of, of oil um, and you're saying like it costs how much to get our shoes from there to there, um, we do know that hopefully it only gets better um, and not and not worse, yeah. not more expensive. Only up, only so. up from here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, um, can you run us through your, I know everything you're doing is really woven into this mission and you have this maternity policy of a return policy. Can you explain what that's all about? And also where did the idea come from? How do you have like your ear to the ground or understand what your customers would really resonate with? Yeah, the maternity returns policy is something that we are just so proud of. And so basically, um, a lot of people don't even know this, but a woman's foot can change size when she becomes pregnant. And a lot of times that change in size is permanent. Um, I found it out when I became a mother and I'm like, wait, you're telling me my foot is not going to go back to the original size. And it's kind of a crazy feeling. Um, but, you know, just one of those things that a lot of moms deal with. Um, so what we do is well if you have a pair of our shoes we'll give you you know a new pair in your size and just this idea of you know we see you you don't have to make a choice between you know motherhood and anything else and just another way to support women you know um completely and really also wanting to like push the industry and, and say that this is a way that we can show up. And um, and so the idea really came from, again, one of those uh, gems from from Tiff um, who, you know, developed our first product. Um, and it's something that she had always really wanted to do and not had the opportunity to do it. And it was kind of like high on her list. And we're like, well, wait, why can't we do that? You know, um, why can't we show up for women? And so um, we're just, we're super proud of it. And we hope to, you know, really push the industry and, and say that this should be something that we do. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's again, it just shows how dedicated to the mission you are. When you come up with ideas like that and you take the brave steps to say, yeah, this could financially cost us, but in the big scheme of things, we're, we have more to gain than we do to lose. We're really staying true to our mission. Um, I think it just shows that you've got that North Star, you, you know what you're doing. 
when you're setting your like North Star goals, right? Like that company mission, I, I mean, you talked about the step-by-step -step framework of breaking down the process of production when like uh, approaching producing a shoe is, is a massive challenge. You think about this North Star of this mission you're working towards and it's a big goal, but you're breaking it down step-by-step, -step, right? How much of that do you think comes from how you've approached an Olympic career or a track, you know, any track career of racing, of running, like what is the parallel there of how you approach these kinds of goals? Yeah, I think that's the, that's the thing that I am the expert at, you know, I'm, I always say like, you know, to be an Olympian, you have to be like a little bit crazy because you get an opportunity every four years. And for me to run for about 21 seconds and you mess up and you have to wait, you know, another four years for that opportunity. So for me, I almost I've always kind of looked at life in like four year chunks because that's how my goal setting has always been. It's like, OK, the, the long term goal is, you know, four years down the line. OK, let's break it down. What am I doing this year? What am I doing this month? What am I doing this week? And how do I get there today? Um, and so just really taking that mindset, you know, to this new venture um, and really just, you know, relying on that skill set. And yes, in this world, it may be called something different. And it's not that I don't have that experience and I, I don't know, but I'm figuring out, you know, OK, OK, this is what this means here. And I'm really relying on that. So I feel like for me, I, I know how to overcome. I know how to get through um, obstacles like that's what I've done my entire life. And it's just, you know, bringing that um, confidence to the team that the storm is going to come. Like, we know that. Like, and for me, it's looked like injuries. It's looked like losing sponsorships, um, you know, losing races by hundreds of a second and uh, dealing with major failure and disappointment on a massive stage. Like, I know how to deal with that um, disappointment and how to pick myself up. So it's just bringing that to a new a new space. And so um, I feel like it's it's, you know, really prepared me, but it's just really, you know, finding that confidence and understanding that um, I still have this skill set and I'm still going to put it to use. It's just, you know, kind of reframing what it looks like. Yeah. And I think that's something that is so great about, you know, Alice and I getting to work together on Sage, but also um, in our in our other business of getting to manage her career and work with her from that point. You know, and we also had the same coach when we competed. And so this idea of perspective being, how are you going to look at this journey? Are you going to look at the journey from the starting point or from the finishing point? Um, and, you know, what, what our coach Bobby would always say is you start at the goal and then you work your way back instead of starting at where you are and trying to figure out how you're going to climb the mountain, you know, and if you work your way back, then you start to see the pieces of, okay, so at this point, I need to be doing this. So at stage four, here's what I need to be doing. Well, if that's the case, then I've got to be doing this at stage three. And if that's the case, I do this at stage two and, you know, and really working backwards. And so, um, so I think that's a mindset that, you know, Allison used throughout her, throughout her career. Um, but just a way that we really try to tackle the business too. And instead of looking at it and saying like, oh no, we're in the middle of a storm. It's like, yeah, no, we know, we know there's going to be a storm. That's fine. If we can work our way back, you know, then those things all feel a whole lot more, a whole lot more manageable um, to be able to tackle. It's funny. Jonathan's always said he thinks in the four year chunks too, but for him, it was like 
high school was four years and college was four years. And for you, it's like, no, I'm in the Olympics every four years, like every four years for pretty much my whole life. So I'm going to remind Jonathan of that next, next time. <laughs> well, my, my wife uh, was a team, team USA, uh, team USA figure skater as well. So she uh, shares the four year mindset and the training cycles too. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I laugh when you said that because that's totally how I think about it. And now it's been four years since we founded Trainual true, true. and, and like, we're looking at this in, in these kinds of chapters as well. It's so what's, what's four years out for you right now? What's stage four for Sage right now? What are you working toward? Yeah. Do you want to take it? Do you want me to go? go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, four years from now, like what we really, what we really set out to do was there were all of these new questions for us of like, okay, what's your exit? Are you trying to do this? Are you trying to do that? How are you going to return capital? You know, like all of these things, um, that just felt like people were asking that because they really cared, but just because that's, that's what you're supposed to ask. Um, and so for us, when we, when we set out, we said like, okay, so like, what is the goal here? What are we actually trying to accomplish? And we knew the goal was change. Um, and so we started there and we said, okay, well, I don't know if that works on this goal because I think we're creating change by just launching this company. Um, and that also gave us this confidence that I think also goes back to perspective. You know, sometimes we look at our goals as this very big, far off, distant thing, and you forget that you're accomplishing goals along every step of the journey as well. Um, and so, you know, so it was great to be able to have our biggest ambition be create change and to be able to say, okay, well, I think we did that. So we can check that one off. All right. So then what comes next? And let's keep on making change each step of the way. Um, and it really is how do we build a company that creates belonging? Um, how do we create a community of, of women, of allies? How do we create a real community? Um, and that is for us, community is not a collection of customers. Um, it's, it is, it's a real community where people find something that means something to them, where they can find other ways, uh, to connect with people. And I think if we do that, we create belonging. Um, that kind of means we're creating purpose. And I think that at that point, we'll reach whatever financial goals there are around a business. Um, but we want to get it to as many people as possible. And we want as many women as possible to feel seen. So, um, yeah, that's what four years from now looks like. And maybe it's, um, maybe it's an acquisition and, you know, we're able to take the shoes to even more people. Um, but who knows a lot happens along the way. Allison, anything to add there four years out for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm aligned with that. I We had a moment um, about a month ago where we were getting on a plane and we saw a woman wearing our shoes and we were just, you know, so excited to see them out in the world. And um, we spoke to this woman and she just really connected with the mission and she had her own story and it just resonated with her and the impact. And she just wanted to stand like with change. And for me, like, I want to see more of that. I want to see more of that in the world, more of those stories. Um, and yeah, so I, in four years, I hope that I'm looking out and I'm seeing the shoes, but I'm hearing the stories and I am, I'm feeling that, you know, power of the collective. All right. Well, we've only got like a minute left. And so I'm curious if we can just do like a lightning fast analogy. You, you're both runners. You're running a business. Are there similarities that you've noticed? How can we drive this metaphor home for people? What are the similarities between running a race and running a business? 
<laughs> yeah, I think that what I would say the the big similarities are that the race, um, unlike the hundred meters, you can have a you can have a bad start and you can recover. Um, you have to be focused on the goal um, and on where where you're trying to go. You really have to stay in your lane. Um, you cannot be constantly looking around at your competitors or they're going to pass you by. You do what you're supposed to do. And then that also sometimes it feels like you're all alone out there, but there is a really great big team that's right there supporting you every step of the way. And that may be your team at work, your team at home, but you have so much more support um, than you think. And at the end of the day, whether you win or you lose, um, you're gonna be okay. Just you'll you'll be just fine. And I think that you know part of being an entrepreneur is, and being an Olympian for Allison and being an athlete, you know, is that bit of crazy that makes it where if this doesn't work, the world ends. And you have to believe that that that's what's going to make you run through walls. But I think the truth is, um, you can use it as a form of motivation, but you're going to be just fine, whether your business works or doesn't work, whether you win the race or lose the race, like you're going to be okay. And more than likely, it's just going to be a learning. You'll be able to take it into, into the next thing. Sorry, Sissy, I jumped Amazing. On that, Allison, any final out. thoughts there on the, on the parallels? No, I mean, I, yeah, I feel like you took them all. Um, <laughs> but I, I just really lean <laughs> into that idea of team because I, I feel like in my career, I always felt like, you know, you're standing, you're getting that medal and you're out there by yourself. But there's so many people who pour into you, who are a part of that process, who are experts in their area that allow you to get up there. And so um, I think that's what it's about. It's, it's we're a team, we're working together and, you know, we have that common goal and there's so much um, of the journey along the way that we want to embrace and where the magic happens. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's just, it's really special. Amazing. Well, thank if, if I could just say thank you on behalf yeah. of the hundreds of emojis flying through the chat right now, uh, the, this was such an incredible story. And the thing that you said early on that's going to stay in my mind for years to come is that you can use your voice even if it shakes. I feel like that's, that's a quote we're going to see all over social media after this. Thank you so much for that. You both are incredible. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you both. You're amazing. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Hey, thanks for listening to Organized Chaos. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, or share it with anyone in your network that you think could benefit from this information. For episode show notes, podcast recaps, and tons of other small business news and inspiration, check out the manual. That's trainual.com backslash manual.